Good morning, church. My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Glad to have you online as well. Um, we are getting back to whatever normal looks like, and we had our, our, our second, this is our third, our second, first, obviously, church services uh, the last two weeks, and you know what it, it, it feels like. It, even though there, there's only under 200 people here, um, the faith that is in the room is extraordinary. It feels, it feels full. And I just want to encourage you. I realize everybody has their own limits and understanding about what it looks like to come outside and to be with people and to be in a closed room. I get it. And I am very sensitive to wherever you are. I just want you to know this feels great. This is really good here. It's, it's, it's not just a reminiscing moment. It's an overcoming moment. Because I'm not just referring back to what happened. I'm referring to what will be. And we are now overcoming something that has tried to overcome us. And that's everything that Christianity is. It's overcoming the world that is trying to overcome us. I'm not applying the idea that somehow... Everybody needs to be exactly the same in their response to what health looks like or safety looks like. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying that we as a people, whether you are at home or whether you are here, we're exercising our faith in order to confront the ills, the problems, the situations, and the downward slide of our society. Fear and trepidation and insecurity are filling this world. And it seems like our valleys are becoming canyons like Grand. I mean, I've been in the valley for a long time. We had the valley of COVID. We had the valley of the economic situation that we're trying to address with all the giving and, and receiving. And thank you so much. And Pastor Corey is only giving you a few highlights. He's not telling you everything, the things that we're still doing in the community here. In addition, we just gave a whole bunch of money to Nigeria. Uh, you, you think it's bad here. Um, my friend Sam Ayegdeban in and, and Grace, beautiful people. 26 churches they've established in Western Africa. His primary church, Realm of Glory, has 7,000 people. They haven't met in four months, and they have no online giving. They haven't received any funds in four months. Now, they didn't even, for years, they've never taken a salary from their church, but their church is supporting a whole lot of other churches and works in the city, and people who have needs... And they don't have any resources. We are funneling resources to Nigeria because people, even though people are, are, are inconvenienced here and find themselves in difficulty and lack, they're starving there. So we're helping. We're helping. We're helping every place. Why? Because you have been graced by God to give. And I want you to know how grateful I am for you online and for everybody who's in the room. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In addition... Everybody knows how difficult of a week it has been for us as a people and what it has taken for us to uh, just keep our heads above water. Um, and I, I, I'm pleased to report, number one, that the victims of our uh, unfortunate event eight days ago are recovering. They're recovering. I look forward to the time when I can bring them on stage and you can give them a hero's welcome because what they did is nothing less than that. Our staff, when they came home from the hospital, went to their homes 
and had a welcome home hero party outside, social distance, screaming and hollering in their windows. Now, one of them, the, 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 one of the, 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 the heroes, the, the guy who risked his life to save our pastor, his mama was there and, uh, at the home, and she was doing this, you know, filming everything for posterity. And we were out there hollering, screaming. And she said, come on in. We said, no, 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 no. She said, come on in, come in, come in. Made us come in. A room maybe... Yeah, 15 by 25 with 35 people in it. We got out as quickly as we could. <laughs> but we were, we were just, he was preaching to us about how when he gets back, he is ready to preach his gospel. His phrase was, we going fishing. <laughs> Meaning we going fishing for men. We're, we're, I'm ready. I'm not wasting any more time. I realize I look death in the face. And I'm on the other side now. I'm going to serve God. It was amazing. He was preaching to us. And after he finished, we said a little prayer, and we got out of there as quickly as possible. Um, by the grace of God, we're going to be better through this. I'm not going to be better for it. I'm not. I don't know how in the world emotionally to overcome this. But I do know that I will be better through it. I wish it never had happened. And by way of people who are trying to figure out, yeah, what's your security in the church? I mean, how does this happen? Well, we had a, a, a Fairfax County police officer at, on staff as our church as one of our pastors. His name is Sean Perkins, his wife, Danelle. We sent them out to Myrtle Beach to plant a church. He was over all of our security, set everything up cameras, people who follow me around and all of our pastors, um, personal assistants, people have seen them and said, are those your bodyguards? <laughs> and I've been blasted for it. Do you really need those? <laughs> now this was not a Sunday service where this event happened. It was a class. Only 20, 25 people in it. And so the protocols aren't exactly the same. And we can't tell you everything that we do with respect to security because it's secure. <laughs> so we don't want to tell the criminals <laughs> what we're doing. But please understand, we're working it as best we can and we're going over our security protocols again. We weren't negligent, just surprised. And every security person will tell you, if a burglar wants to get in your house, he's going to get in your house. One way or another, he's going to get in your house. No matter what security system, systems you got, he's going to get in your house. And we can't, we can't be perfect, but we can be vigilant. And we're going to continue to be vigilant. The last thing we want is for any of our sheep or our employees to be put at risk. And so we are reviewing everything, and not just me. We've got other police officers, law enforcement officials, people who are reviewing everything we have done and then they're going to advise us about what we need to do in the future. Somebody said, hey, you're going to have metal detectors at the front door? I don't know if I want to be the airport. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just letting you know these are the things that we have to go through in answering questions 
Uh, do, do you want your, your bag checked every time you walk in? I'm, I'm just saying. We have to figure this out. We're going to do the best we can to provide safety, security, and a sense of, of church normal. And I'm not quite sure what that looks like, but we're working on it. Um, and lastly, the outpouring from our church, you, you, from our community, emails I've gotten, texts, hundreds. Pastors I don't even know in the area just saying I'm praying for you. And um, I'm grateful. Thank all of you who have been praying. Thank you for your well wishes. Thank all of you online who have been praying. Um, your prayers have not gone unanswered. God is doing some amazing things uh, in healing those who were injured and also helping us as a people to get over it and to get through it. So I am uh, profoundly appreciative of everybody. All right. I'm supposed to preach. Turn with me over to, to the book of Revelation. The title of the sermon today is The Fellowship of Suffering. The Fellowship of Suffering. Revelation chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 9. Revelation 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Lord, help as we study your word. Three things I'd like to talk to you about regarding this passage. One, who John is. Two, who he proclaims himself to be. And then three, how he defines himself in fellowship. John is an extraordinary man and I don't know that I could put enough superlatives in front of his name and describe him well. He was the youngest we believe of all the disciples and we think that at this point as he's writing this letter he is the last surviving of the 11 or 12 however you want to put it. We know that Paul and Peter have already met their maker. They were martyrs. Paul beheaded, Peter crucified upside down somewhere in the latter part of the 60s AD. I am a, of, of the opinion that the book of Revelation was written somewhere around 68 or 69 AD. Others put it at 90. It doesn't really make that much difference, but I believe that this has impact with respect to the folks who are listening, reading what Jesus has to say about the things that are going on or will go on in the days that in, in which they live. Not just application to us. It does have that. But I think he's talking to people who are, who are going to have to go through some stuff. Namely, what's happening in Jerusalem or what will happen in 70 AD. Um, John is the patriarch now of the church. If there is any one patriarch, it's him. We're not quite sure where Thomas is. We're not quite sure where 
uh, Thaddeus is. Uh, Thomas, we know, we, we believe, went to India um, and was martyred there. We believe all the apostles at some point uh, came to their point of ending on this life through martyrdom, except John. And um, here he is on the Isle of Patmos as the lead and probably final patriarch that actually walked with Jesus as a disciple. This man has stature that's unparalleled. He could call himself a pope. He could set himself up as the leader of all in the eyes of the church. Nobody is more revered than him when he writes. Everybody's listening now. There are other letters of renown that are not included in scripture. They weren't canonized, but they were important to people's encouragement. And those letters were received by different people who wrote. But none like John's. John's unusual. And as he's there on the Isle of Patmos, <clears throat> he is, he's in the environment of being persecuted for his faith. He's there because Rome said, we would rather have you be there than any place else. Because there you can do as little damage to our kingdom as possible. Now the Isle of Patmos was known as kind of a, a mining island. And most folks who worked on the island didn't live long because the stuff for which they were, they were pull, mining, pulling out of the earth, it was kind of a little toxic. Um, you didn't raise a family on Patmos. It's not where you found the finest schools. It was as best as you could describe a deserted island except for its resources under the ground. Nobody wanted to live there. And that's where they put John because they thought he could have as little influence over the world as possible. And yet Jesus shows up to, to him there. Oh, the circumstances in which you find yourself are not impervious to Jesus. He'll find you. If you seek after him, he will find you. And please remember that your seeking is not the prerequisite for him to find you. He's God Almighty. He knows where you are. But the seeking allows you the privilege of really valuing the discovery when he finds you and lets you think you found him. When we find God, it's a whole lot like when I played hide and seek with my two-year-olds. You have to hide in plain sight. Okay, count, count to two. Can't count to ten. One, two. And I'm behind the skinniest lamp in the living room. I found you, Daddy! I found you! I found you! Yeah. If you hide someplace in the closet, they'll never find you. God realizes we aren't very good at hide and seek. And so he designs it so he's easily found if we look. And when we find him, we think, look at what we've done. We found God. No, no, no. He let you find him. And there's value in the search because when you are actually working at it, when you seek him diligently, 
the, 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 when, you, when, you, when you actually find them, you think, oh, X marks the spot, I found gold. Here, I don't know that there was ever a time when John did not seek after the Lord. And he was there on the island of Patmos, and God found him. Yet the stature that he has, the iconic presence that he is to the church, and the intimidating force that he is to the Roman Empire, doesn't allow his own soul to get puffed up. This is a man who understands something about humility. And he says, I, John, a brother, he puts himself as a peer to everybody else when he's writing. Much like the other apostles. I, Paul, bondservant of Christ. And when we look at bondservant, that's a really euphemistic way of trying to describe mm, being a slave. It's our English because we don't like the word to, the, the, the slave because it just seems so demeaning. But if Paul wanted to say servant, he would have said diakonos. Somebody who willingly gives himself voluntarily to service. But he's saying, I, Paul, a bond slave of Christ, he says this three or four times in his epistles, introducing himself, even though he's a leader of the church, as a slave of all, a slave of Christ. I am a slave to the will of Almighty God. The apostles never lauded their own position, but realized that God was the one who elevates. They needed to recognize who they were in humanity. I am a servant. I am your brother, John says. I'm right with you here. Humility unparalleled. And as a result of this, God could show him things that he didn't show some other people. He could have had the same kind of experience. Well, excuse me, let me say it this way. He had the same kind of experience that Paul talked about in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 2 Corinthians 12, where a man, he says, I don't know who he, whether he's in the body, out of the body, went up to the third heaven. This is what John did. I don't know if he, I don't know if he knows whether he was in the body or out of the body, but the entire book of Revelation is about what he saw outside of the natural isle of Patmos. A man who understood humility. God knew that he had lowered himself. And when you lower yourself, when you humble yourself on a regular basis, what is God faithful to do? Exalt you. Put you up where you ought to be so you can see what you need to see. And listen to me, that exaltation has little to do with how people think about you. Please do not begin to measure yourself on how other people measure you. Because if you do, one day you'll feel great because you were the man. You really performed well. You were the best servant in your, in your, your, your business. You helped out your family. You did something really extraordinary. And everybody, <laughs> congratulations. Make one mistake. Blow it once. Mm. They're on the other side. Don't let the affirmation or the criticism of people begin to affect you to such a degree that it changes your view of you. Let God begin to be the one who defines you. And as you humble yourself on a regular basis, allow the exaltation that he wishes to give you be that which takes you into his presence, not just in front of people. Are you listening? This is really important. John 
was there on the Isle of Patmos and the Lord revealed himself to him in ways that are unusual. This whole book is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it says in the first two verses. And the revelation of Jesus Christ to his people. He's writing to seven churches. And those seven churches are supposed to understand something about what is to happen in the days to come. And John, as he's getting the information, he says, I want you to know, not only am I a brother, but I'm a man who partakes with you in certain ways. I choose to partake with you in the area of tribulation, in the area of the kingdom, and in the area of, of perseverance in Christ Jesus. Now, there are a lot of things in Christ Jesus that I would like to fellowship with people about. But two of those things that John mentions are not those. I'd like to fellowship with you about the joys that are in your, 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 your marriage. Your children growing up and being what they ought to be and even more than what you expected. I fellowship with you in, in, in your health and your well-being and the victories that God has wrought in your life. I, I love the fellowship like that. But if I were to put on our logo, on our, our, our say our, 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 our motto at the end of our Grace Covenant, here to fellowship with you in tribulation. How many people would come to our church? <laughs> Who wants to do that? Yet John says, I choose to fellowship in Jesus in tribulation. I realize that the, the only place that people don't want to go is the place where we have to go. Suffering is something that nobody wants, but it is endemic to us as a people. We as Christians, Western society, Western Christianity, have placed suffering someplace on the back burner of our theology. And we forget that it is primary to our Christianity. That Jesus said, if you love me, if you really want to be a disciple, pick up your cross and follow me. We think he meant, get one and hang it around your neck. That's the kind of cross we think he means. Back then, it meant, it, it, I can't tell you how almost anathema, how derisional the idea was for somebody who was Jewish to tell Jewish people, that if you want to follow me, pick up the Roman instrument of execution and do so. <sighs> Jewish people, have you lost your mind? My uncle was on a cross. He died there. For, 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 the, the, the Romans made up uh, charges against him. No! That's what they have used to persecute us, to keep us under their foot. No! Jesus uses that. Death death we are in a battle we are in a conflict regularly against our own flesh and against the world system and the only way we can defeat it is from the posture of first dying not fighting realizing that this this mortal body is that which is susceptible to a whole lot of stuff that is not godly and if I do not bring it regularly to the cross, if I do not suffer the pains of what it means to understand what no is on a regular basis and say yes to God, if I am not constantly uh, denying the flesh 
and understanding my God wants me to serve the things of the spirit, not the things of my passion. If I am not dying daily, like Paul says, I am not living the Christian life as I should. Suffering is a part of our life. It is base one for us in Christianity. And if we understand that well, then we won't be so confused when suffering happens to be second base too. And third base. And just keep on going. What happened eight days ago cannot in its purest form be described as persecution. Because the person who was the assailant was not trying to take out somebody specifically because of their testimony of Christ. Generally speaking, persecution is deny Jesus or suffer. Generally speaking, that's the way it's outlined in Scripture. Having said that, very few places in America where you will ever find that kind of, of opposition. Very few. Lots around the world, but very few in America. And so the kind of, of warfare in which we engage or find ourselves embroiled is, is usually veiled by other circumstances. And those circumstances kind of make us think, well, this is what happens in the world, right? I mean, everybody goes through stuff. When the enemy targets individuals that he realizes can have great impact with respect to damaging his kingdom, and he uses different clothes in order to make sure that nobody recognizes it's him. He doesn't leave necessarily a real good fingerprint. He uses gloves. Now that's not to say that I'm looking behind every corner to find a demonic entity. Some reason as to why the world's messed up. Don't do that. But I do know this. That what happened last week didn't happen in Starbucks. Didn't happen in Walmart. It happened just as a man was about to help people be introduced to the presence of the Holy Spirit, literally. He said, now it's time for us to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And immediately the attack came. If you read any of the news reports, there are reasons unbeknownst to us why this thing occurred. We don't know motive. We understand some reasons, but we don't know motive. But we do know that there is an enemy behind the scenes that does not want to be known. And his best, his, his, his best offense is anonymity. And there's an enemy behind the scenes that wants to stop progress. Pastor Sean, the man who was attacked, is at the lead of our intercessory team. Every Friday night, he is, he is assaulting the kingdom of darkness in prayer and asking for God's blessing upon you and this community. With somewhere in the neighborhood of between 30 and 50 people for three hours every Friday night. And they pray in the mornings for you. 6 a.m. prayer calls almost every day. To think that the enemy might not have it out for him would be naive. We are in a conflict. 
And we are always surprised when stuff happens because we forget that we are in a conflict. Suffering. We do everything we possibly can to try to avoid it. But we are in a battle on a regular basis. And when we encounter the things that are untoward, we need to always have a Christ-like response. The early church, when they experienced difficulty, fear was not their go-to. Their go-to was, Lord, embolden us to preach even more. Help us to take this gospel with greater fervor to people who desperately need it. And in the midst of this, we are praying, listen, we have fasted as a, as a leadership for the health and well-being of the people who were injured. We have fasted for the entire church. We have fasted for our community. And we have mourned deeply over this. But in the process of our mourning, we are not stopping our progress. Amen. We are continuing to move forward. Hallelujah. We are looking at this and addressing it as best we know how. But we are also saying there are churches that need to be planted. There are people that need to be reached. And we are not going to let this stop us from our progress. That's exactly what the enemy wants to have happen. Tribulation is hard. It means affliction in the Greek. John said, I am with you in the affliction that is in Jesus. And being placed on the Isle of Patmos, lonely place, no fellowship, no church, only him and Jesus. And I don't know if he won some of the minors to the Lord or not, who knows. But I imagine he did. I, I, he took opportunity to preach to somebody, I guarantee you that. We just don't have, don't have any, any recollection that we have no, no record. But we do know that Jesus fellowship with him there. And it was, it was difficult for him because he was in, he was being persecuted by Rome. He said, I am with you in affliction. Secondly, I'm with you in the kingdom. Even in the midst of the affliction and tribulation, the manifestation of God's rule is sure. I don't know that I've experienced his governing goodness more than I have in the last week. His attention to the individuality of every person, to what's happening to the people who are injured, to everybody who is on staff in my church, who is concerned, everybody who's a leader. It's, it's, it's one of these unusual benefits that come as a result of being in the kingdom that you can actually see things that others don't see and experience things that others don't experience. The press releases that we had to do and all the, the reporters that were calling, they were wanting to know how I'm feeling. I said, well, it really doesn't matter. I'm not happy at all. But I know that there is something on the other side of this that is kingdom-oriented. I didn't tell them this because they don't know anything about that. But I knew that there was something on the other side that is kingdom-oriented that God has for us. And so I got up every day with hope. And, and, and moving aside the darkness, I was able not just to see, it, see the light, but to apprehend it. To hold on to it. Because I know that the kingdom is that which cannot be shaken. And my God is still on the throne. And he is in the process of healing everybody. And in the process, somehow or another, 
Listen to me. He is in the process of bringing us through in a way that makes it seem like this could not have happened. And uh, th- Let me say it differently. This was important to happen for us to be what we need to be. Now, I know that sounds a little funny because nobody wanted it to happen, and I'm not saying it was God's will that it did happen. All I'm saying is that it did happen. When we get to the end, it'll seem like that, boy, we couldn't have, been, we couldn't have gotten where we got unless it, wow, look at what God did with, with that kingdom. Somehow or another, he's navigating us through this toward his and our best end. Kingdom. Though I'm on the Isle of Patmos, Look at what I'm writing to you. (laughs) Though I am exiled, put someplace where people think I can't have any influence in the kingdom. Look at what God has shown to me to write to you. The kingdom cannot be shut down. And then lastly, perseverance. Perseverance is that thing that says, okay, I'm not going to quit for a long time. In fact, I'm not going to quit ever. Jesus said, he who endures to the end shall be saved. I will not quit. Perseverance is the endurance that gets up every day and says, today is going to be a greater advancement day than yesterday in the kingdom, and I'm going to be a part of it. I'm going to not stop doing good. I am not going to stop being right in in the presence of my God. I'm not going to stop progress. I'm going to persevere in this hard time. There There is a... Hmm... The demonic realm is, is real. And I'm, I, um, I don't know how to describe it in such a way that it's palatable to the community that might be watching online that doesn't understand anything about the unseen realm. Our God is unseen. We worship him. He's real. He's more real than the things in which this building in which we're, we're meeting, the, the chairs in which we're sitting. The Holy Spirit is real. He's unseen, yet he lives in our heart. Jesus is real. Though we do not see him, we love him. And there are definitely entities that oppose all of that that are real. And those entities have different assignments to try to deceive and discourage and dissuade people from doing right. And people who pray on a regular basis understand what I'm talking about in that they sense the battle from men's souls that growing faint, whose souls are wanting to stop, quit, do something else. It's not working. How could these things happen in a church? I, my, my faith is just shipwrecked. I thought more of Grace Covenant than what happened. I understand. I know the rational arguments. I get it. But there are entities out there that not only want to make you question who we are, but make you question God Almighty. Same demonic spirit. 
same ugly, dark force. And there is a resistance that we need to give to it that says, I choose to believe his word rather than what I'm hearing in my mind. And this is why I tell you to read your Bible every day. Because you've got to hold on to that which God says rather than what you are hearing in your ear. And if you don't have enough of his word down on the inside of you, the world will fill your heart and your head with all kinds of information about what it is not and how God doesn't. And, and you won't ever. And you've got to be somebody who holds on to these promises, especially in times like this. And I am not saying that so that you will love us more. No. There are other places probably that have better safety protocols than us. And if you feel the need to go there, please do. I understand. I get it. But I want you to know that if there is fear on the inside that is motivating you in any way, it's not leaving when you go there. You need to deal with that and allow the presence of God to envelop you and love you even in the midst of a world that has gone wrong. A world that cannot stand everything and will do everything that it can to try to stop you from being what you ought to be and doing what you ought to do. There are so many leverage points that the enemy is trying to bring to bear to stop the progress of God in your life and in the kingdom. And we have to be people that if we don't understand much of what the Bible has to say, though I wish you did, we at least have to be people that get up and understand what we do understand and say, I will not quit I will persevere and figure out how in the world to serve my God well even in the areas where I have little understanding God I believe you're going to illumine my mind so that I can better understand as I go down the road but I am not going to stop here because I know that there are things that you want me to do John said I'm in this thing in Christ Jesus in perseverance Everything within me wishes I didn't have to preach a message like this, especially in the context of where we've been. But most of the world preaches messages like this regularly. My friends in China have to preach messages like this regularly. My friends in the Middle East have to preach messages like this regularly because they're losing their lives. They're going to jail. May God help us as a people to develop the kind of balance that allows us to accept those, those things which we cannot control and then present them to our God and say, Lord, bring this about for your good, please. Bring this about for your good. And when I say accept, I'm not saying be complacent. I'm saying we are battling, we are waging good Conflict. When I, when I talk about warfare and I talk about conflict, I'm not talking about some kind of going against human beings. I'm saying the conflict in which we engage is loving people more. The warfare which we begin to, to, to put ourselves out for is caring for people more. That's what it is, advancing the things that are most important for Jesus. And as we do that, we're going to experience difficulty. But be of good cheer, Jesus said. You'll, in this world, you will have tribulation. You'll have affliction. Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. Thank you for your goodness and your grace.
Help us as a people. We continue to pray for Pastor Sean and Demetrius that you would help both of them to heal quickly. We're grateful for the heroism of everybody involved. We thank you for the people you had in the room who had specific skill sets to make sure that folks could live. Thank you. And help us as we process going forward. If there's anybody who hasn't given your heart to Jesus, or maybe you've made a decision in the past and nothing about your life now looks anything like what a Christian's ought to be. If you fit in either of those categories, raise your hand high. I'd like to pray for you. Anybody in this room? If you're online, if you want to pray with me, just say this. Father in heaven, forgive me. I am sorry for the way I've lived. I choose to turn away from everything I know to be sin and to follow you with all of my heart. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving me the privilege of calling Jesus Christ my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.